1: Dropping the narrative of the unhappy me. In this episode, Eckhart talks to an audience in Budapest, Hungary. The crowd erupts with laughter and applause when he speaks a few words in Hungarian, especially the word for now, which is muszt. Eckhart then explains that the next step in the evolution of humanity is to awaken. He says there is the potential in every person for a deeper dimension of consciousness, which is the light of God. He says many people look for themselves in their thoughts. They compare themselves to others, their childhoods, their bodies, jobs, possessions. He explains these thoughts become a sad story and an identity which we call my life. We keep it alive by overthinking, but it is a delusion. Eckhart says we will find liberation when we drop the narrative of the unhappy
2: me. Take your time. We have plenty of time. We are in the present moment where there is no time. We'll take this opportunity, people are still coming in, to just be here for a moment in stillness. Not looking for the next moment. The key word is most. (laughs) (laughs) Many years ago, I received a book sent by my publisher and it had my name on it and then it said Something like, my memory is not the best. Amost Atalma. And I've always re- remembered that for some reason. However, that is not the only Hungarian part of my talk. Before coming here, I consulted the oracle called Google (laughs) and I can now greet you in your native language by saying, your estate. (laughs) So that was the Hungarian part of my talk (laughs) and now we go on to the English part. And uh, what happens here, one could say there are two dimensions to our gathering here, two dimensions. One is the normal dimension where I speak using words, using concepts, and you listen, and your mind, translates these words and concepts, so they become thoughts in your head. That's the conceptual level. It works on a conceptual level, but that is not the main level. There's another dimension here, and that dimension is beyond the words. That dimension is beyond the conceptual mind. We could even say that dimension is beyond thought, beyond thinking. And uh, whether we give it a name or not, doesn't matter. We could call it the dimension of awareness or the dimension of presence in you. It is a dimension in human consciousness. And unfortunately, most human beings alive on the planet now, or all those who have lived in past generations, most of them were not really in touch with that dimension. They didn't know it existed inside them. They missed it So there's a potential in every human for a deeper dimension of consciousness. We could also say higher. It depends how you use language. I prefer to say a deeper consciousness than the conceptual consciousness. And of course, I use words here which are concepts but I'm not using words because I want you to believe in the words that I use. I'm not asking you to believe in anything. You must believe me. The concepts are only useful because they point towards that deeper dimension in you. And whether or not you find it interesting or gripping enough to stay here in your seats, depends to a large extent on whether this dimension has already awakened in you, at least to some extent. So to recognize the essence of this gathering here, you need to have even a little bit of access in yourself to that deeper dimension that is beyond the conceptual mind, the dimension of awareness. And a good way of finding out whether or not you have some access to that dimension is whether you find it pleasant and interesting enough to to stay here, whether there's something in you that says, oh, oh, Yes. Is it nice to be here? Or does it become very, very boring after 10, 50, maybe already <laughs> after a few minutes? Because if this only works for you on the level of concepts, then maybe for a little while you say, oh, hmm, interesting. He says there's only the present moment. Well, I haven't said it yet, but I probably will. <laughs> He says, there's only the present interesting, okay. And now he's, well, but five minutes later, he's, well, he said that already. Why is he saying it again? I know, I know that now, there's, there's only the present moment. Okay, that's done. <laughs> Don't want to hear about the present moment again. <laughs> so then it only works on the level of concepts and it, it's no longer interesting and you feel like getting up. But most of you are here because that dimension in you has already awakened. Another way of putting it is to say that we could use the term spiritual awakening, or we could say the awakening of consciousness. As I see it, that is the next step in the evolution of humanity because I would like to suggest to you that the evolution of humanity is not finished yet. At least I hope it isn't, because it would be sad if it were finished. One could almost say to God, is that the best you can do? I'm sure you can do better, but God is still working in you as you, the consciousness, which is the light of God, but I'm jumping ahead. Let's come back to just this moment. So most of you have come because this awakening process is already happening in you, but it is possible that you never called it awakening process. You never called it uh, the deeper dimension of consciousness. It is possible that you only experienced it Perhaps after reading a certain book or books, you only experienced it as some inner peace emerging in you that wasn't there before, or less suffering in your life, less, uh, and less unhappiness than before. It is possible that you experienced it as that, that certain situations that before created a lot of unhappiness for you no longer create that unhappiness. You may also find that life becomes easier because you are no longer in conflict with the isness of things, with the present moment. And you realize perhaps some of you realized at some point that a lot of your unhappiness was unnecessary. It was created by unconscious dysfunctional thinking and so many of you then experienced a diminishment of suffering or unhappiness and perhaps a deeper sense of aliveness and inner peace not not all the time perhaps yet and this is what brought you here another way of putting it is to say that well One of the most important or the most important thing in a person's life is their sense of identity, who they are, who am I? And even a child, as it begins to grow up, already begins to look for a stronger sense of identity. Even a three-year-old child already looks for an identity. At a certain age when the child begins to speak, one of the first things the child learns, his or her name. John, John, what's that, John? That's you, John, John. And then sometimes for a little while, the child talks in the third person. John is hungry. No, no, you are John, it's not here, you. Okay, and then he begins to equate I with the concept. The sense of I merges with a mental concept. The mental concept is John. And then this concept becomes the receptacle for many other things as the person grows up, many other things he or she looks for in order to have a more complete sense of self. So the body becomes important. The body, whether the body is stronger than another's body, whether the body is better looking than somebody else's body. So the body becomes a mental image too. That's me and my body. So you identify with the body It's a very important thing in many people's lives. Body identification is very important. And with some people, it's so strong that they have a feeling mainly who I am is my body and the rest is other stuff. And that can become a source of, for many people, it's, it's a source of suffering, unhappiness because, they compare their body with other bodies. And they come to the conclusion that my body is not as good as these bodies. And so you have a diminished sense of self and this diminished identity as feeling inferior, me as a body, feeling inferior to another body, is a source of suffering. And many people, as you know, there are I'm sure in this country also, there are magazines you can buy and read that continuously talk what you can do about your body. And it's important for people. And then it might be external looks, good looking. It could be strengths, it could be looks. And so you identify and you compare yourself. And then if you're lucky, your body is stronger or better looking than other bodies. And that becomes a source of great satisfaction to you. And you look in the mirror every morning with great satisfaction. (laughs) And every day you take selfies and you post them on Facebook choo, out into the world and then you wait for the, the likes, <laughs> how many? And that becomes more concepts in your mind about your identity. The more likes, the more your sense of identity becomes. Oh, if we now jumped ahead 30 or 40 years with a person who is very strongly identified with the body and a person who every morning looks with great satisfaction in the mirror, jump ahead 30 or 40 years to another morning when this person looks in the mirror and suddenly notices that something is very wrong because time has done something to the body, something terrible. Time has done something terrible to the body. What's wrong with this mirror? That's me? Now, there's a whole industry that, of course, if you have enough money, you can go and temporarily undergo repair treatment for your body and you have a few more years when you say, okay, I have stopped time. Time is no longer attacking my body, but it is. So what before was a source of great satisfaction, years pass and then it becomes a great source of pain and unhappiness. Because it's not really your body that's making you unhappy. The mental image of who you are has suffered a terrible blow. And you suddenly you look at people who are 30 years younger than you and say, oh, your comparison is no longer a source of pride, it's a source of pain, suffering. That's body identification. And that's only one way in which people look for themselves. They look for themselves in this realm of identification. Of course, yes, the most obvious one for many people is the body and for many people it continues to be throughout their life. Some people are extremely unhappy, almost continuously with their body. So they're, oh, and others are very happy and, and until they are not, but many others change a lot from day to day, or week to week, or depending on how much weight you've put on, or how much you've lost, or whatever it is. There's a mixture of, sometimes your body is good, and then it's not good anymore, and then it's good, and it's not. good. So, many people are not happy with themselves. They, have a problematic relationship with themselves. And this shows there's a split. There's a split in their identity. There's a self that they think they are, and it's a mind-created self. It's like an image. And many other things go into this. You can put things on the body Even if your body is not as good as others, the clothes you wear can be better than other people's clothes. You can put on great designer things, whatever they're called, Gucci and Prada and whatever. And this is a huge conceptual thing. They are not selling you goods. They, They know that the people who make these things and advertise them, they're not really selling things to you. They're selling you. They're selling you an identity, an enhanced identity. But if the body doesn't work for you, not, uh, some people that say, okay, I'm not paying attention to my body anymore. There are other things that are more important. I did that when I was young because I, I was neither good-looking nor did I have a strong body. So what can you do? And I didn't have money to put designer clothes on my body, so there was nothing to do. Okay, then uh, other things that people look for in their sense of identity could be uh, their family. Where do I come from? What are, what are my ancestors? What have they achieved? What is my social status in the world? How do I fit in? Am I upper class? And of course there also, I couldn't find any identity there either because I was not an aristocrat (laughs) and I didn't know anybody beyond my grandparents. So I didn't have ancestors 500 years ago who lived in a beautiful, a palace and I could identify with that. There wasn't anything to identify with. So I would continue to look for myself and I kept looking for myself. And so it wasn't the body, it wasn't strength. Possessions, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't buy stuff and then have more stuff than other people. That's a great thing for your identity, but I couldn't do that either. Oh dear, what am I going to do now? Who am I? I was looking for myself. Every human being wants to know who they are and they, they want to be that more fully. Ultimately, everybody is looking for themselves. They're, they're lo- I'm looking for me. Okay, if I buy that and add it to me, then, then that will become the BMW or the Mercedes that I buy becomes part of me if I buy it. But if somebody else has a bigger car, then I get diminished again. So complicated. So everybody, they're looking for themselves and a huge problem for many, many people is a deficient sense of self-esteem. This is a very common thing. People, self-esteem is who you think you are. And a self-esteem that is lacking, that means you feel less than others. And that's a source of great unhappiness and suffering. This is the human level. There are ancient stories in many different cultures on the planet. And there are ancient stories that all speak of a golden age, whether they call it golden age or call it the garden of Eden or paradise, or a time when things went so well, there wasn't suffering. The psychological suffering wasn't there and people lived happily. The golden age, it's a mythical tale. I believe it is a memory of a pre-conceptual stage of human consciousness when the problematic ego identity had not yet arisen. And humans for thousands of years remember it was a distant and vague memory of something that they lost or seemed to have lost. And why did they lose it?
3: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play?
2: They lost it because something happened in them which was an important step in the evolution of consciousness and it is called thinking. They developed the ability to think conceptually. This is, of course, strongly linked to the use of language, Because thinking to a large extent, conceptual thinking is is talking to yourself in your head. And that was an incredible step forward in evolution. Thinking was an incredible thing to happen. Some anthropologists believe that when humans began to think, soon after as they began to speak, they began to think, they were often surprised by their own thoughts And they they thought that God or a God was talking to them when suddenly thoughts came into their heads. Who was talking? And so progress began. Progress began as thinking. It was very slow at first, very, very slow. But civilizations began to develop. And so incredible things happened, but, We live in the world of polarities, which means you gain something here and you lose something there. There's a price to pay for everything because this enormous gain in consciousness, gradually humans became more and more unhappy. Gradually, humans, the human existence became more and more problematic. And gradually humans began to lose, let's call it, their original rootedness in being. The rootedness in being to feel connected to something vast. Not to feel, feel like you're a little particle being tossed about and to not feel connected to anything anymore. To feel just always feeling that something is missing, that I need something more. There's something wrong here. Something is missing. And gradually then, instead of being rooted in, the, in being, I mean, look at a tree. A tree is not only rooted physically in the earth, a tree, when you can really contemplate a tree, you can see that it exists in that state of deep stillness. And it has a certain consciousness too. It can respond to the environment, it grows, but it is totally rooted in being. There's no sense of separate self, but with humans, There's a huge sense of separateness, the separateness from everybody else and the separateness from nature, the separateness from being itself. So a word that is sometimes used in philosophy or existentialist philosophy, alienation, alienation, which means humans become aliens to themselves. You become a stranger to yourself. So there was this incredible development of consciousness through thinking. And then came science, which is applied thinking, made it even empowered thinking even more. And more and more humans had the price to pay was a heavy one. The price to pay was suffering, unhappiness. as, As the Buddha said, all life is suffering, dukkha. So the price to pay was, you, you couldn't find yourself anymore. You were lost. And this is, I could say, loss of paradise, paradise lost. So you lost your sense of self. And then you began to look for your sense of self in the dimension of thought. And so this is what we talked about just before. You need to add to your, always needing to add something to your mind made sense of self of who you are so everybody here has a certain life situation and everybody here has a certain when i when you you can talk about your life uh, who who are you so you start thinking about you and me and my life and me and my life is mostly for most people, it's a, it's a story in their heads that they derive their sense of self from, things that you own, things that you have achieved, things that you have not achieved, your successes, your failures, your relationships, your body, all these things, the conditioning of your mind, which depends on what happened to you from childhood onwards, their mind became conditioned in a certain way. You identify with this and that, not just personal things, you identify also with your environment. The country you live in becomes part of your identity or your religion or your particular group, tribal group that you belong to or is incorporated into your sense of self. And there are many people who carry a very unhappy self. The, the unhappy self is the predominantly unhappy self is more common than a predominantly happy self. If you have a predominantly happy self, you're very lucky or very stupid. If you are pr- predominantly happy, it could be that, you're, you're, that you still exist partly below thought which traditionally, in mythology and so on, is called the fool, or it, before, the, before the term became politically incorrect, it was called the idiot. So this is a person, but they said every village in medieval times, every village had a fool, a village fool, <laughs> and the village fool was somebody whose mind was so undeveloped that they hadn't formed an ego yet but they, could, they were not very good at conceptual thinking. But they were, in many cases, they were the happiest person in the village. So they went around. Oh, there goes the fool, look how happy he is. Yes, no self has, not they existed below the level of conceptualization, but ego hadn't arrived yet. You can also see it in mythological tales where well, the fool is however important because the fool is connected with something that the more advanced human has lost. And this is why the fool is important even in mythology and in even more recent literature. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings is a little bit of a fool, because he's not as intelligent as most of the other people he interacts with, but only he can do something, only he has a certain power to do something. A famous movie that you might have seen years ago, Forest Gump, which is, a, again, it's about a person who is, whose level of intelligence is far below average. And again, this is the the human who is not yet, developed a full ego. And so we cannot go back there, unfortunately. (laughs) And I'm not attempting to take you back below conceptualization, that's not the way to go. There are millions of people who try to get away from themselves, the self, the mind created self. The Buddha called it the self and said it's the great illusion, the self is an illusion, that's what we are talking about, because it's a fictitious mind-created entity that makes you unhappy a lot of the time, creates all kinds of trouble and problems that are completely unnecessary. But it's, you can't get rid of it easily. It's there, you can travel to the other end of the earth, and when you arrive, you're still there with yourself can't get away from myself. I'm now in Hawaii, I'm now in Bali, and I'm still with myself. And so how do you get away from yourself? People try it and they've developed many ways of getting away from themselves, but they all take you ultimately below thought. It's a regressive step, alcohol. Okay, that helps for a little while to get away from your unhappy self. Just have four or five whiskeys That's a little bit of relief from your daily torture of your mind, because for many people, their minds is a daily torture. Their minds make them unhappy. They don't even, they don't know it. They don't say, they think it's the situation. They don't realize it's not the situation that makes you unhappy. It's the narrative that your mind has about the situation that's making you unhappy. And that's an egoic narrative. Try it out in any situation let's not go to the very extreme situations, we may touch on that later, but basically it's true too. Any situation where you get unhappy in whatever form, you get irritated, you get angry, you get whatever it is, in the present moment you get happy. Why are you getting unhappy in this situation? You're just waiting for somebody to arrive, you're waiting for, to at the airline counter, but they are so slow and it's not moving and you get very upset and unhappy. This is a minor situation, but life is full of these minor situations. If you're unconscious, spiritually speaking, which means completely identified with your conceptual mind, if you're unconscious, then you believe that all these events and situations and people make you unhappy this situation is just, it's so awful. But if you, if you wake up in that moment, you realize it's not the situation, it's what you, the narrative in your mind about the situation creates the emotion of unhappiness. Very easily can be verified as an experiment Next time you find yourself in a situation that makes you unhappy, or you think the situation makes you unhappy, you can ask yourself: Let's try an experiment. How would I experience this situation if I did not add any concepts or thoughts to it? To this situation, I'm not adding any thought to this moment. This moment is the way it is, and I'm not going. I'm not going to withdraw the addition of thought to it. So here you are, wherever it may be, waiting in line, if the line is not moving, you've been standing there for 40 minutes waiting to check in, or whatever wherever it is. How would I experience this moment if I if I didn't add any the baggage of thought to it? And suddenly you realize, okay, I'm now I am not labeling this situation as either good or bad. I'm not labeling it. I'm allowing it to be as it is, this moment. And suddenly, yes, you may still have a pain in your body or whatever it is, because you've been standing ever too long, but suddenly this moment just is as it is. It's no longer an unhappy moment because the unhappiness was there because of unconscious thinking, mistaking, a situation, an interpretation of a situation, thinking it's a single thing. <laughs> you, can go, you can go in the, let's say winter is coming, so in the morning you look out of the window and you could either, you could go, let's say it's been raining, I suppose it rains here too sometimes. After a few days of rain, you, you open the window and say, oh no, it's another miserable day. I don't. I don't know how many more of these days I can take, and it's just my miserable life and another miserable day in my miserable life. So, of course, you're adding a lot of thought to this moment. How would you experience it if you open the curtains and you simply look outside and take in what's there? There's no unhappiness because there's no self. You're not seeing it through the conceptual self. You are seeing it through awareness. That's the great liberation. If you can see something through awareness instead of the conditioned conceptual self, suddenly there's clear seeing and the heaviness isn't there anymore. The suffering suddenly evaporates. And amazing if you can learn to, distinguish between a situation that is and the interpretation. Then suddenly you have, you withdraw the narrative, the story, and there what is left. When you withdraw the story, there's just the isness of this moment as it is. And you're no longer fighting against the isness. You're allowing this moment to be as it is, that's an amazing liberation. And with that, the self diminishes, it shrinks the conceptual self, the mind created self. And what takes its place is a different dimension of consciousness, which we could call presence or awareness. So that arises, that's an enormous shift in consciousness. Look, for example, many people carry an enormous burden around with them every day. And that burden that they carry around with them, they call it my life, my life, oh. It wasn't supposed to be like that. When I was 20, I imagined something very different. Where did it start going wrong? Well, it started with my parents. (laughs) If I'd had more conscious parents, perhaps things would have been better. If life had treated me more fairly, I would be okay. But many things went wrong, and I don't know if, I've lost faith, it's it's all going downhill or whatever the narrative says. It has regrets, has a few successes. That was great, it was so nice, but then it ended. It was so wonderful and then it came to an end. I'm still thinking about it. Can't stop thinking, can't stop thinking about it i can 't stop i can 't stop thinking about the good times that i've lost, and i can 't stop thinking about all the bad stuff that happened to me can 't stop thinking about that either and that 's my life that 's my life, oh dear, and millions of humans carry that mental burden mental emotional burden around with them and believe that that is their reality. They do not realize that is not their reality, it is their conceptual reality, which consists of the movement of thought, thought, thought. So you continuously think about your, your unpleasant life and you keep it alive by continuously thinking about it and being so identified with the thinking that you become that thinker, the unhappy thinker, the unhappy self. It's incredible to see how many people walk around to their grave carrying the heavy burden of an unhappy me, the unhappy self. It doesn't need to be like that, but why, how can you be free of that? It's not that difficult. What happens is that you are mistaking what you call your life for your life situation. Your life situation involves the past. It has arisen out of the past and probably involves some future where you want to get to. Still, you have certain, perhaps you have certain hope still that your life situation one day will become, will resolve itself. This problematic thing that I carry around, one day my life situation, this is an unconscious belief or hope in many people, one day my life situation will resolve itself and then finally I can start breathing freely. (sighs) When I need just the right person and just the right place to live and good health for my body and a good income and social recognition and a few other things. Don't have to worry anymore about money, don't have to worry anymore about anything. Perhaps one day I can get there, but it's, it's very unlikely. I'm Oprah Winfrey,
1: and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle. Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.
3: Selling smoothies is what I do, but for small business insurance, I chose my state farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle-Gro organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. Miracle-Gro is simply the best.